How about that? Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse number 19, as you just saw on the screen there. And we want to talk about tonight about where your treasure is. Now, one of the greatest barometers of your righteousness... Now, this is so cool. Again, if we, we would say probably something like, and I, I don't pick on church attendance, but it's one of the ways we go. If you look for someone that's really spiritual, you go, it's how often they go to church. But really one of the greatest barometers is, how's your heart concerning finances? How's your heart concerning your money? How, how's your heart concerning the treasures that this world seems to offer? Now, as we've heard over and over again with our friends, the the scribes and the Pharisees, this is one more opportunity for Jesus to say, now listen, your righteousness has got to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees in a very practical way. Now, what was happening was, in Jewish culture, they they associated wealth with blessing. It boiled down to this. If you had a lot of money, then that was a sign that you were in favor with God, that God loved you, and that you were blessed. And if you're on this end of the spectrum and you're very poor, then in that situation, you are not blessed, and therefore God did not love you very much. Now, this is really strange. It's kind of like a work salvation scenario. Um, I keep telling you, for instance, that if you're if a disciple of Jesus Christ, you ought to love people. It'd be kind of like you're going, okay, well, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, so I need to go out and love everybody. So you love on everybody, Okay. The, the idea of loving people is not to be saved, it's because you are saved. But the scribes and Pharisees said, if wealth is a sign that I am blessed of God and that God loves me, then I will do whatever is necessary to obtain wealth. Isn't that just kind of weird thinking? Isn't that strange? You know, if, if this is a sign that I am blessed of God, then I will do whatever it takes in a wrong way to amass wealth. Now, I, I've got like eight scriptures that I want to share with you just to reinforce what Jesus is saying here. And the first one I want to use, I'm just going to read it so you don't need to turn there, unless, of course, you want to. But it's Matthew 21, 12 through 13. This really points the picture of this attitude that the, that the scribes and Pharisees had that God blesses those who are wealthy. God loves those who are wealthy. And here's what the Bible says. Jesus went into the temple complex and drove out all those buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the money changers' tables and the chairs of those selling doves, and he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Now, my question is very simply this. How did this happen in the temple? Who allowed... This money changing take place. Now, real quickly, not, not this is a sermon, but real quickly, keep in mind the problem was is that they were making a huge commission. If you were buying, if you needed temple money and you had to exchange your other money, your Roman money to temple money, then they charged you a huge commission to do that. And, and you know, it's like a, a, a selling for convenience. If you need a dove, now you could have bought a dove down the street, kind of like sometimes gas is. You could buy a dove down the street, but if you're the last gas station in town, you jack your price up because you know people got to have gas. Hey, if you need a dove, I'll be glad to sell you a dove, but you're going to pay extra for it. Now, who allowed that to happen? The scribes and the Pharisees. Okay, now watch this. Who got a kickback from all of this? 
the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, even if it meant defiling the house of God, they were witness craziness, a paradox. Okay, they were willing to defile the house of God to obtain wealth. So in their twisted thinking, they would be blessed of God because God blesses those and God's favor shines on those who have wealth. So Jesus is addressing this twisted thinking and telling his Florida followers that you have got to have a different philosophy if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Once again, he says your righteousness has got to exceed that of the Pharisees. You've got to go beyond this twisted thinking, beyond the letter of the law, to something far better. And here's what he says in verse 19. Don't collect. Don't amass. In the, in the Greek, it's present tense, which means ongoing. So Jesus is saying, stop gathering. Stop collecting. Stop amassing. Well, what? For yourselves, treasures on the earth. Now, mark that down. Treasures on the earth. Did you see the video? Everything here is temporal. Amen? Everything here is going to go. He says, don't stop. I'm trying to get this world's treasures, amassing more and more of it. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So many people place all their baskets in how much they can amass in this world. The toys and the trinkets and the wealth. You know, those things that, that people sometimes count success, they work and work and work to amass that. And so often it's believers in Jesus Christ. And he reminds us that the moth is going to eat that. Like in the picture is a moth eating up the, the fine fabrics that the scribes and Pharisees had. And this word rust is so, it's one of those Greek words you wonder why they translate it that way. I mean, I looked it up, and guess what? It doesn't mean, like, rust-like, but it does mean this. Like, rust eats up metal. The word there, the Greek word, means to eat up. To eat up. So, he's saying all the things here, like a moth eats up fabric, and all the other things that eat up these wealth, they're all temporal. And thieves break in to steal. I'm telling you something. If you put, if, if your goal in life is to amass stuff, it's a bad deal. You know, they keep talking about never, never, unless you just flat can afford it, it's a bad investment to buy a new car. So many people today, it's like homes, you go out and pay thirty-five and $40,000 for an automobile, and if you go back the next week and like to trade it back in, they're going to give you like 30% less than you pay for it because it's a bad investment that goes downhill and downhill and downhill and downhill. And Jesus is saying, invest in this world, and it's a bad investment. It's a terrible investment because it will not hold its value. Here's what James said in James chapter 5. Come now, you rich people, time out. Because you like to say, oh yeah, I know about those rich people. You are one. Most of us here today, most of us fall within the top 2% of wage earners in the entire world. Most of us, if you make like, I think it's fifty, fifty-five thousand dollars $55,000 a year combined income, you are in the top 1% of the wage earners in the entire world. So don't say those rich people, if you live in America and you're halfway middle class, you are one of the rich people, okay? So James says, come now you rich people, listen. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming to you. Your wealth is ruined and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasure in the last days. He's saying, those of you, you're going to weep and howl because the things you counted on are one day going to be worth nothing. I think Rod Wallace said it this morning and I said it so many times. 
How many U-Hauls do you see on the back of a hearse? How many U-Hauls do you see attached to the back of a hearse? Folks, in that sense, you cannot take it with you. The thing, come on now, come on, quiet Baptist. The things that you hold on here, the things you count so valuable, are all going to be moth-eaten and rust away. Be eaten up, the Bible says. So he says, don't amass for yourself wealth here. You know, I thought about when the word thief popped in my brain. I actually thought of John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you invest in this world, the thief is here, and he will kill, steal, and destroy. You cannot hang on to. No matter how hard you try, you can't hold on to your wealth here because one day you are going to die. Short of the rapture, there's one way out, and we all get to go there. It's called death. It's called death. The thief will steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes on and says, I've got a better idea. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Amass wealth. Put, make that your goal in life to, to have the biggest cars and the biggest houses and the nicest clothes and the biggest bank account so one day you can retire and you can go to Florida and you can do this and you can do that. Go ahead and make that your goal. But he says, one, you can't take with you and the thief will steal, kill, and destroy but instead of a temporal, a temporal, a temporary vision, if you'll have an eternal vision, he says, I will give you life and give it to you more abundantly. He says in verse 2, but amass. See, first was don't amass. Now he says, do amass. The first was stop story, and now he says, start story. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven. Aha! There is a way for us to take it with us. And again, I don't know how it works. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what the rewards are going to look like. I don't know if it's just simply Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. But over and over again, if you think about it, Jesus talks about rewards. Listen to this verse. According to God's grace, this is Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 3, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay another foundation other than what has been laid. That foundation is who? Jesus Christ. Now watch. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, and then contrast that with wood, hay, and stubble. So there are things that are temporal, wood, hay, and stubble, it's the things we talked about this morning. If you teach or preach or sing or, or whatever you do for God, if you give and it's for your glory, wood, hay, and stubble. If you, if you try to amass the world stuff here so you can have stuff here, and by the way, God's not against stuff. In 1, Corinthians chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says he's given us all things to enjoy. I'm a gadget guru. But if my gadgets become a God, then I'm in trouble. So, so if, he says, now if you try to do this, wood, hay, and stubble, he says, hey, hey, hey. But if somehow you'll invest that in the kingdom, if you'll, if you'll put God first in your giving, if you put God first in how you live and view finances, if you have the right perspective, all of a sudden it becomes gold, silver, and precious stones. He goes on and says this, Each one's work will be obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built up survives... 
or words that goes in the fire and comes out, which gold, silver, and precious stones will, he will receive what? A reward. A reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost. But he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. So Jesus says, if you build temporal, it's going to be burned up one day when you give an account of your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not for your sins, but for your life. Or you can build with gold, silver, and precious stones, and it will survive the fire, and you will receive a reward for that. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12, it says this. Jesus speaking. Look, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. Over and over and over, Jesus emphasizes, listen, serve God, have a godly perspective, and there will be a reward for you. Say, I'm not in for reward. I'm just telling you there's reward. If you'll let go of wood, hay, and stubble and embrace gold, silver, and precious stones, if you'll let go of what is temporal and embrace what is eternal. Come on, amen? This is huge, guys. This is huge. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where, guess what? There are no moths. Where things that eat up this stuff, they don't in heaven. And where thieves don't break through and steal. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There, there's a place, he says. And there's a place where there's no moth and there are no thieves to break through and there's no rust to eat it up. That's incredible. But you need to know something. He gives us a litmus test. He says, because where your treasure is, the things that you treasure the most, that's where your heart's going to be. Your heart always follows your treasure. Say it with me. Your heart follows your treasure. Judy said something, and they talked about this in, in Courageous this morning, I know in the ladies' portion. You know, if you want to look, if you say, here, Daddy, Daddy, if you say, my kids are important, I tell you, my kids are just important, and you never spend any time with them, you're not telling the truth. Amen? Now watch this. I love God. I, I do. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And yet you've got no time for Him? I mean, my goodness. Most bad... I, I was wrong. Badness do know about fasting. Because about a third of our membership or more fast from church every week. We say we love God, but we don't even have the time for a quiet time. We say we love God, but most of us can't make time for church. I'm just about one time a week. Okay, get ready. Here it comes. Two big barometers of where your treasure and your heart are is your calendar and your checkbook. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I just don't have money to fund the kingdom with. Because you see, there's so much I want to do. And there's so much I want to amass that if I give God what really already belongs to Him, then hey, I won't be able to amass my wood, hay, and stubble. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, let go of the woodhead and stubble and believe that there's gold, silver, and precious stones in a place called heaven. God, it's time we be authentic with this. 
If we say we love Jesus, get off. Get off of the things that are easy. Again, it's easy to come to church. It's easy to fill a pew. It's easy to be fed every week spiritually by a teacher or by a preacher. I'm saying, man, get off the bench and get in left field or right field or play shortstop and then say, God, I love you and I'm going to prove it by I'm going to make time for you. I'm going to give service to you. Judgment house. This man's been begging for people to, to serve in judgment house. And one or two things are going to happen in judgment house. Every person in there most likely is either lost or need to rededicate their lives. Yes, we have a lot of people who claim to be Christians come through, but they need a recommitment. And you have the opportunity to be a part of something big. Yes, it will cost you three nights. It will cost you about nine hours of your life. But for goodness sake, what is the cost of that compared to what He did for you? How incredible. I mean, my goodness. The mission opportunities, the ministry opportunities. And I know we're so... You guys do such an incredible job of giving. But there just might be someone here tonight who needs to hear this. If you think what we're doing now is incredible with the help of God, really with God's strength, imagine what it would be if 75% of our people tithe. We're going to have a meeting tonight after this, after this meeting. And can you imagine the purpose of that meeting is how are we going to spend all this money we've got? I know what we're going to do. We're going to talk about next year's budget, how the economy is, how giving will be, what, what can we fund, what we cannot fund, what will have to be let go, what, can we raise mission giving, can we not raise mission giving, can we do this, can we do that? But can you imagine how incredible it would be if the committee met and go, guys, I don't know, can we send more money to, to Chicago to feed the homeless? Can, can we open a, a, a shelter over here uh, bigger than the four C's for those who don't have a home here in Harrisburg? Guys, what are we going to do? Mike, what are we going to do with all this money? And it would happen, it could happen, if simply we let go of wood, hand, stubble and did this. You, you know what? All he says is trust me, try me, improve me. All he says, I tell you what, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you a dollar. Could you give me a dime back? I'll give you a hundred dollars. Could you give me ten? I'll give you a thousand. Could you give me a hundred? I mean, he's not asking you to, to sell everything you got like you did one guy. He's just simply saying, Would you trust me with this? Would you believe me for this? And when you do that, you may not have quite as much wood, hand, stubble, but all the gold and all the silver and all the precious stones. Would you rather have a big old haystack or a nice lugget of gold over here? Which one? Come on, which one? Will you believe God for that? I'm talking about heaven. Would you believe God that there really is a heaven, there really be an accountability, and there really be a way somehow that God's going to say, I want to reward you because you were faithful. Someone said it, and I'm not even sure who said it. But the choice, and this is a quote from the person who said it, that I have no idea who it is. The choice is not between heaven and hell. After all, who wants to go to hell? The choice is between heaven and earth. Can I say it again? The choice is not between heaven and hell. After all, who wants to go to hell? The choice is between heaven and earth. 
Dwayne, can you prove that scripturally? I just did. Actually, Jesus did. Do not collect for yourselves treasures on earth, but do collect for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's a choice. Do we spend it all here? Do we, do we do it all here and have nothing there? Or do we trust God and send it on ahead? Listen to the Scripture. Then Jesus said to His disciples, who said it? Jesus, the one who died for you. The one who died for me. Jesus said to His disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the entire world and loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then... He will reward each according to what he has done. Jesus says to follow me is denial. To follow me is sacrifice. But hey, if you want to save your life, you've got to be willing to lose it. Because what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? An incredible man just died. Steve Jobs. You have to say that Steve Jobs was an incredible genius when it came to invention and business. Two things I can tell you about Steve Jobs. He was worth about $7 billion. Of course, that's nothing compared to Warren Buffett, who's worth like $85 billion. But $7 billion. How much did he leave behind? Every single I can tell you this, that Steve Jobs was a Buddhist and he did not believe in Jesus Christ. Unless something happened in the last moments of his life, which again, I only throw that clause in there, so you won't think I'm judging him. He was poor here and didn't know it. And he's poor there and he does know it. What does it profit a man? If you, what if somehow you to create something like the Apple iPhone or the Mac or whatever and amass great wealth and everybody claps you and applauds you and say, oh, wow, but you lose your own soul. The choice is not between heaven and hell. Who wants to go to hell? The choice is between heaven and earth. And we face that struggle every day. When we get up, rather have a quiet time, rather to follow God, rather to obey God, those are the choices that we as believers make every single day between earth and heaven, earth and heaven, earth and heaven. Incredibly important. And then Jesus goes on and says this. He said, how important is that, Dwayne? How, how important is this right perspective? Well, I, I've heard this said, and I'll say it because some other preacher said it. He said, and I, I believe it, God doesn't need our money. You know, we somehow think that, well, God needs us because how would it happen? I don't know how it happened, but He fed 5,000 with some little bit of fish and some loaves, so I guess He can keep the work going without your tithe. Amen? He can keep it going. But how important is this attitude about, about eternal, temporal, wood, hand, stubble, and silver and gold? How important is it in my life, Dwayne? Here's what Jesus said. The eye 
is the lamp of the body. In other words, it's through the eye that we see. It's through the eye that our body knows which direction to go. It's through the eye that we direct, our mind gets directed, and we know how to follow. Okay? So it's through that. The eye is the lamp of the body. And watch this. If your eye is good. Now, remember, what are we talking about? What's the context? Eternity, temporal, wood, hand, stubble, gold or silver. Okay? It's about things. It's about stuff and our attitude toward those things. All right? So, he says, if the eye is the lamp of the body and your perspective about that is good, your whole body will be full of light. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, when we have the right perspective on this, our whole life, listen, giving in your perspective of what is God's will change and reflect how you live your entire Christian walk. Come on. So true. So true. Jesus says that. Your whole body's going to be full of light. If you get this right, all the other stuff's going to fall in line. For some reason, money and things are the most difficult things we wrestle with. We just want to cling to stuff. We want to hold on to the things of life. We need to hold loosely the things of life. So Jesus said, man, if you've got this right, it's going to impact your whole life. But what else? Well, that's what he says in verse 23. But if your eye is bad, if you get this one wrong, if you have the wrong perspective on wood, hand, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones, temporal versus eternal, if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. In other words, he's saying, if you get this one wrong, you're going to be wrong in a whole lot of areas. That's how important it is. That's how important it is. If we get this one right, a lot of things fall in perspective. If we get this wrong, a lot of things are wrong in our, in our Christian walk, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He goes and says this. So if the light within you is darkness, isn't that a strange way of saying it? If the light that you're supposed to have is really darkness, how deep is that darkness? He said, man, if you get this wrong, this is really trouble for you. This is very difficult for you. You've got to get this. I'm just hearing the Savior saying on that hillside, guys, you've got to get this right. You've got to hold loosely the things of life and embrace the things that are eternal. You've got to get it right. And I think if Jesus was speaking tonight and said to me, and he was re-preaching the sermon, I tell you, he tell Dorisville, he tell the folks here tonight, you've got to get this one right. Because if you don't get this right, You're not going to get much else right. That's why maybe Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 6, 9-10, But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. How's that for a pretty picture? the love of money, the desire for money, those who just crave to be rich have that kind of an outcome, Paul says. He goes on and says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith, of it names pop into your head, and pierced themselves with many pains. The picture is being stabbed with a spear. They pierce themselves with much pain. 
We've got to get right, folks. It's just not that Dorsfield Baptist could profit from your money. That's why that, okay, God doesn't need your money, but He desperately wants your heart. He desperately wants your heart. And don't say He's got your heart when you have no time for Him nor no gifts for Him. It's a contradiction. It's a contradiction. He closes up by saying this. You just need to understand. No one. How many? Can you think of an exception? No one can be a slave or serve two masters. Since he will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus says, you're going to have to make a choice. A slave cannot serve two masters. Do you imagine one master saying, do this, and then he starts doing that, and the master says, no, you need to come and do this. No man can serve two masters. And you, the ones on the hillside that day, and now the ones on these pews today, you cannot be slaves of God and of money. You have to make a choice. There is no fence line walking. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. And there is no fence line to walk. You've got to choose which master you're going to serve. Everybody worships something. Who are you worshiping? Who are you, and all you know in your heart, who are you worshiping? One final scripture. See if you know this one. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve, and I love the Holman Christian Standard, we will serve Yahweh. We will serve Creator God. Who said it? Joshua. You heard it, and I know you, I don't know if we ever got around to it in the men's class, but I know the ladies did this morning. Choose this day who you will serve. Because you can't serve two gods. You can try. You can try. And you may feign good. You may feign good. You can come to church, fill the pews, serve on committees, do all that stuff. You can do all that stuff, but you can honestly only serve one God. And Joshua said, choose who you're going to serve. Maybe money, maybe things, it may be people, it may be pride or prestige in the community. I don't know what other God may be beckoning you tonight, but Jesus says you're going to have to choose. If it comes down to God or money, you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose. Would you bow your heads, please, tonight? An incredible freedom to preach comes when. I honestly can say before you that God doesn't need your money. This is not a tithing message. It's not about you need to give or else God's going to go bankrupt. It's not that way. This is about you and God. It's about you and God. Jesus spoke these words to people. And said, if you're going to follow me, these are the financial guidelines for the kingdom. This is how it works in the kingdom. 
You've got to stop amassing and devoting your time, energy, and resources to getting all that you can in this world. Keep in mind that God's not against things. Someone once said, you're okay as long as you own things and they don't own you. Okay? So, you've got to choose between amassing the stuff here or living for eternity. You've got to choose between gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. And I think this is so frightening. Because, you know, we can fool ourselves. You know, we can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. You can't fool God any of the time either. I don't know how deep you call yourself with God, how spiritual on your meter you are. But if your attitude, according to Jesus, if your attitude about this is wrong, you're not probably as spiritual as you think you are. And I'm not as spiritual as I think I am. Because Jesus said, if your eye is good in this area, your whole life is right. If your eye is bad in this area, the whole life is dark, is bad. And how great is that darkness? And I think it's because it's such a difficult issue for us to deal with. Guys in Africa don't have this. If they wake up and got some meal to eat, they're pretty happy campers. We just happen to live in the wealthiest country in the world. That's just it. It's the curse of being an American. And for a Christian, it might well be exactly that, a curse. Father, have your way in our hearts today. Your word is very clear that we've been called, we've been challenged by you, Jesus, sitting on a Galilean hillside to choose which master we will serve because we cannot serve two. Help me, Father, as pastors set the example to lead these dear people to live for the next world. May we be a sacrificial people, our time, our talents, all that we are. May we, may we Father, be willing to give you whatever it takes so that your will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. How incredible that we are plan A. You have chosen us. You put us at, on Feasel Street to reach Harrisburg. How incredible is that? Father, with time and money, those are just two crucials. And with all the money in the world, with no time, we're handicapped. And with all time and no finances, we're handicapped. Father, help us to give you both. And Jesus, I pray this in your most precious name. Amen. And amen.